Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you the best odds, the highest limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. After last week's episode previewing the NFL divisional round, we thought we'd return for more of the same. Joining me again is our resident NFL expert, it's Adam Chernoff. Resident expert, I like that title. There you go. Um, so how have you been, Adam? How's things? I'm doing really well. Looking forward to another big NFL weekend coming up. It was a great weekend last week. Everything went to plan, so it's always good when that happens. So looking forward to this week as well. Yes, I mean, the, the podcast went down really well last week, and we started off by covering kind of the postseason in general and the, the differences to regular season football. So for, for anyone that wasn't listening, just to kind of go go back over that ground, could you just... Talk to us a little bit about what makes playoff football unique. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to regular season NFL handicapping, there's a lot of narrative-driven focus. There's a lot of situational focus. Uh, week to week, a lot of bettors tend to sort of latch on to something very popular that's swirling around, whether it's a travel angle or an injury angle or just something that sets up uh, to really grab onto and drive that into the handicap. Whereas in the playoffs, it all comes down to what happens on the field. And we sort of broke down the four games last week, highlighted what the narratives were. But in every case, there was always something on the field that overrode the narrative that was much more powerful. The, the betters just don't really go into much detail looking into because they really like to grab onto sort of what's easiest, what makes the most sense. And that's often the most meaningless thing where last week we really pointed out in each of the four games how much of an advantage the favorites had uh and sure enough all four came through with the wins it was a big market uh discrepancy between the top four teams and the rest of them at the start of the playoffs in terms of market pricing these four teams that are still left took up a significant and historically high chunk of the market margin uh compared to years past and sure enough they came through with four very good efforts that were we sort of saw coming and so it's really about focusing what goes on on the field and not getting trapped in the narratives that come from week to week. Yeah, I mean, that really was the theme of it, wasn't it? It was that these these higher-ranked teams were potentially, and I guess ultimately, undervalued. And again, you kind of touched upon kind of end-of-season results, maybe skewing the betting market's perception of what might happen and things like that. Um, so let's just let's go over those, those games in a little bit more detail. And you, you can just kind of break down potentially what happened and and what that means moving forward. So we've got the, the Saints versus the Eagles. Um, the, the Saints actually closed as an 8.5-point favourite after floating between 10 and 8 points, and the, the total closed at 52. So what went down in this one? Yeah, so the the Saints were the one favourite that didn't cover. All four favourites ended up winning outright. The other three covered. Uh, New Orleans came into that game extremely slow and I was pretty big on Sean Payton uh, there was a lot of talk about how motivated this team was and they certainly didn't show it in the opening quarter Drew Brees under through Ted Ginn on the very first play of the game that was an easy walk and touchdown for New Orleans that would have completely changed the way that this game played out Eagles managed to force the turnover go down the field and score they quickly went up 14 nothing uh, but then the Saints defense really stepped up 
and the offense came through in a way that I almost didn't anticipate. We're sort of used to seeing the Saints offense score very quickly, gain yards and chunks, especially at home. And they actually ended up playing the possession game in the third quarter. They had a drive that spanned over 10 minutes. They were really holding on to the ball, wearing out the Eagles pass rush, wearing out their defensive line, keeping those big bodies on the field. And they managed to just wear down the Eagles, uh, missed a kick with just over two minutes left in the game that would have put them up nine and potentially covered this point spread. Ultimately, the Eagles took the ball down and the Saints got a turnover just before the two-minute warning. But I think uh, a lot of people will sort of point to the Saints getting lucky. But really, once they were down 14, like I was watching the game, I had the Saints in the teaser. Uh, there was never really much concern watching what was happening on the field because it just felt once the game sort of flipped around late first quarter, early second quarter, the Saints were just, it, it, they came up to play to that level that we sort of pointed out about the favorites. And they ultimately dominated the final three quarters and ended up getting out with a win and just narrowly missing the cover. Cool. And then the other the other NFC game we had was the, the LA Rams and the Dallas Cowboys. And as you said, the, the Rams were the favorites. They they were one of the teams to cover the spread that, that closed at 7.5. The the 52-point uh, total came in because, um, well, it was 52 in the end, I think, wasn't it? And it was 48, it closed out. So just talk us through this one. So this was a complete domination from start to finish, and the scoreboard will be a little more flattering for the Cowboys than it actually should be. But we saw one of the most well-put-together game plans of the entire season from Sean McVay for the L.A. Rams. Uh, Dallas came into the game as one of the best uh, run-stopping defenses in the NFL. Uh, they were somewhat susceptible in the last few games of the season on the road, uh, and L.A. just completely exposed them. Uh, they ran for an NFL playoff record 275 yards on the ground. We saw sort of the emergence of C.J. Anderson, who is the backup. I guess we can sort of call it a duo running back to Todd Gurley, uh, who's been one of the best running backs in the league for the last two seasons. Uh, but it was all about the offensive line. There were rumors that came out that the offensive line was able to understand what play the Dallas Cowboys were running. They caught something on film. They knew exactly whether the defensive line was going to stunt, whether they were going to blitz, whether they were going to drop back in coverage. And they used those signals that they knew to put together one of the best blocking games that you're ever going to see. You go back and watch the tape. And it's actually kind of comical how easy it was for the L.A. Rams to move the ball. And obviously, when you put up a playoff record, uh, it certainly makes a statement. Uh, I think... Overall, though, the one thing that sort of gets shadowed in this was the performance of Jared Goff. Missed some very easy throws, and we'll get to him in a minute in the Saints game breakdown. Uh, I've been very vocal about him, but uh, the rushing dominance is going to take sort of precedence from this one and carry over into this week's game against the Saints. And then over in the AFC, we had the, the Chiefs versus the Colts, and the, the Chiefs closed a four-point handicap, and it did have the, the highest total of all the games because it ended up closing at 54 points. Now, I know that the weather kind of dominated a lot of the talk in the build-up to the game, but what were your thoughts on it? So I, my big thing coming in was the Kansas City defense and how it was potentially going to change the game, and it certainly came through. They got pressure on Andrew Luck all game. This was a Colts offensive line that everyone had ranked very high. Kansas City pass rushers were certainly underestimated. They were able to get to Luck. They were 
forced a key fumble in a key time. Uh, it was the defense that really took over the game. We didn't see a huge performance from Patrick Mahomes like we're used to, and we didn't see really a big standout game from any of the receivers except for Travis Kelsey, who looked very good, and the elements certainly didn't affect him one bit. The Colts just looked slow. Andrew Luck was off. They were moving at a slower speed. The cold weather certainly brought them down just to the average team, but it, at the end of the day, that defense that I was really bearish on and I was really against them for much of the entire season. They played a really bad schedule and then it showed when they had to step up against good competition. But big thing for me in this one that sort of gets missed was Kansas City had a number of opportunities to put this game away uh, late in the second quarter throughout the third quarter and they failed to do so. And the scoreboard sort of illustrates a, a pretty comfortable win for Kansas City by 18 points, uh, but it should have been significantly more than that. So whether that's Indianapolis just being a, a really overpriced team heading into this or Kansas City failing to take the opportunity to close out an opponent at home, uh, not sure really which one overpowers that, but it, it probably could have been a lot worse than 31-13. to 13. And then finally we had the, the Patriots versus the Chargers. Now, as we've said, it might have been narrative, but the... The Patriots seem to have their doubters ahead of this one, but I mean they easily covered the four-point spread, and the over sailed in as well. The over ended up closing at forty-seven point five. So can you just give us a little bit of your thoughts on this one? Well, this was just an embarrassment for the Chargers. And last week, you and I talked about how big of a coaching mismatch this was, and it showed. I mean, Anthony Lynn knew what the Patriots were doing late in the first quarter. And he didn't adjust for the entire game. He just let the Patriots keep doing the same thing over and over. When a running back has 15 receptions out of the backfield and you don't do anything to switch out of a zone defense to try slow him down somewhat, I mean, that's just that's high school stuff right there for a coach to, to able to manage. So we really highlighted Anthony Lynn's incompetence, and it certainly showed through in this one. Uh, no adjustments made whatsoever by the Chargers. L.A. They gained much of their yards, put up 14 points late in the game in garbage time when this game was certainly out of reach. So 41 to 28 is absolutely flattering for the Chargers. This should have been a 25, 30-point win for the Patriots if we're judging off what goes on the scoreboard. Uh, I It's it's hard to sort of carry in uh, the Patriots as, as being as good as they look because I just think that against any Andy Reid coming up this week, uh, it's not certainly going to be this easy, and you're not going to just get a game where you can do whatever you want for four full quarters, and that's exactly what the Patriots got last week against the Chargers. I mean, that's some, some great kind of condensed analysis of the, the four games. There's obviously a lot more to it than that. Is that kind of, as we, we head to the next round of games, is part of your approach to go back, rewatch the games, learn things, see if there's anything you've missed, or is it you can get get everything you need from that first initial viewing? Well, I rewatch the games because I don't have any particular hobby outside of sports gambling, so it's certainly something I put in uh, every single time. I There's definitely an element that you can take from the games that you saw a week ago. Um, both of these conference championship games are rematches of games that were played in the middle of the NFL regular season, so there's an element to watching those as well. But the big thing for me when I rewatch games is when you watch something live, you're sort of in the moment and, and you're watching it and you're following along and you can pick up things here and there. But the rewatch is really to determine what happened more so than how it happened. Uh, you get a really good sense of the how when you're watching the game live and you can sort of feel that. But then when you go back and you rewatch it again, you really get to pick out little 
little things here and there that show why a team won. So knowing why a team won really allows you to evaluate what the score showed as well as what the box score said. Uh, and it allows you to sort of pick apart little pieces that may sort of make the the box score that a lot of people look at and base their wagers off of that don't go very deep that have a say in the market because the NFL is the NFL and there's so much handle, but it really allows you to sort of parse that stuff out and get a much more accurate read on the games and, and sort of what they mean. And how granular are we kind of getting with, with the analysis that you're doing? I'm imagining you now with a notepad and pen kind of scrabbling, scrabbling notes down as the game's going on. Is that, what, is that what's happening or is it a bit more relaxed? I'm not as big of a, of a notes guy. I really like to let my eyes sort of dictate what's going on and then use that to compare against the markets when I see them. Uh, I find when you when you do get into the notes, you sort of get focused on really small things. And when you're when you have a giant notebook with a list, it really becomes hard to estimate how maybe 30, 40 things all come together and affect the price. I find when I do sort of the notepad approach, uh, I really get keyed on a, on a couple of things. And one that stood out from, from the Rams game was how their tight end Higby was essential in coming across the line and, and putting together some good blocks. And the Rams do this motion uh, move where they have either a wide receiver or a tight end coming right behind the quarterback when Goff is under center or when Goff is in the shotgun coming between them and sort of pulling the defense over. And, and you see little things like that after the game happens. You see it happening, but it's so quick that it's hard to sort of key in on it with the camera angles but when you go back and watch it like if i were to write something like that down it was really great to watch because you don't see it often and the rams executed it to perfection but when you have that written down and you're sort of focused on that you get keyed in uh, on the next game and you're like well how can they apply this to the saints and how can i put this into the point spread and oh my god this was good but the truth is that the game plan changes so much from week to week so i just like to get my eyes looking at it understand why it happened and then use that in in combination with sort of predicting what the game plan might be and just sort of knowing if the team has that in their arsenal of weapons to potentially use and sort of sort of let my eyes key in on when certain matchups may or may not happen rather than having those little things and where the pricing just becomes a little bit off. Yeah, and I mean, regardless of approach, I'm sure people have started doing their work from the from the very end of the games over the weekend and now it's now it's all about those those conference championships. first game is the the LA Rams traveling to the New Orleans Saints um, the Saints for the first seed they're, they're a three and a half point favorite and it looks like there's going to be points of plenty because the total is currently set at 56 and a half so how do you see this one going so as I mentioned earlier these are both rematches of games that happen earlier in the regular season so there is sort of a precedence for what this market should be looking back at the Rams Saints uh, they played way back in week nine, which was early November. The Saints were at home, so it's the same venue. The Saints were one-and-a-half-point underdogs, and the total was 57. So we're seeing a five-point adjustment here on the, on the point spread, and the total's right where it was in that game. So despite there being a 70-point outburst, 
a few weeks ago, the market has decided to come out with the exact same price. Given the playoff circumstances, I think that that's certainly warranted. Given how the Saints have finished the season, I certainly think that this move is warranted as well um, with the big adjustment there at the moment. So I think that this point spread is pretty fair. Uh, that's right where probably the Saints should be priced. We're seeing some Rams money come in right now. I'm sure the pen pinnacle uh, bet share would suggest the same. Uh, going to be heavy exposure on the Rams in terms of the money line. Uh, probably going to see some under money come in as well. Just looking at sort of the two games, you've got arguably uh, the two coaches in the NFC who stand out the most, Sean McVay for the Rams, Sean Payton for the Saints. I was big on Payton going into the Eagles game, somewhat disappointed. So I think there's an element of that that has to be carried in here where it really becomes a tactical matchup where the two teams know each other, they've played each other, and it becomes a question of how much of the previous game plan can be installed into this game plan. You look at the Saints overall, extremely good on the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, they rank in the top three for both of those categories. They're very good at stopping the rush. They had a very unfortunate injury uh, to Rankins, who's one of their best defensive uh, run-stopping options. Uh, so that's certainly going to factor into this game quite a bit. But when it comes to stopping the run, the Saints can really step up and force teams to, to have to adjust with that game plan. So as I mentioned in sort of the recap, the big thing coming into this one was how the Rams set the rushing record in the playoffs. Uh, they ran 275 yards against the Cowboys. So I think that that sort of is going to be carried into this game from much of the market pricing. And now you have a team that just coming off the NFL rushing record against the best run-stopping defense in the league for the NFL regular season, but also the best run-stopping defense left. So there's going to have to be a big adjustment from Sean McVay, or rather a big decision. Does he continue to use the duo of Anderson and Gurley to attack the Saints defense, or does he go to the passing game and come up with different options there? If you look back to the earlier meeting between the two, Rams didn't have much success at all rushing the football. Gurley had less than 80 yards, and there weren't any other significant rushes either. So they were not able to run the ball on the Saints in their first matchup. So is something going to change in this one? Is McVay going to be able to put together a game plan that opens up the run on six days' notice? I'm not so sure he can. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of Jared Goff, which isn't necessarily a good thing. I've been very vocal on how when he's on the road and it comes to big games, especially late in the season, he is not the quarterback you want under center. I labeled him uh, in week four as the biggest liability for the Rams late in the season. And I took a ton of heat for it. I said he was not the quarterback you want on your team when you have to win a game late in the year against the league competition. And I got absolutely smashed for it. But then sure enough, late in the year, we saw him lose some key games. He came, didn't come through in December. He went on the road to Chicago. He looked cold. He looked lost. He couldn't complete a pass. And then you look at his home road splits overall. At home, he's an above-average quarterback to elite in every single category. When he gets on the road, 49% passing success rate. That's league average. His yards per attempt go down from 8.8 .8 yards per attempt to 7.5. That's elite to average. His passer rating goes from 110 to 76. That's elite to well below average. His interceptions go from four at home to nine on the road. So again, from elite to below average. And then his explosive passing, 14% to 10%. So those big gains that come in chunks, not there. His passing TDs, 22 at home, just 10 on the road. So he's a significantly different quarterback when he's away from home than when he's playing in warm, sunny L.A. 
Saints home field, fast surface. You get one of the loudest crowd environments in the NFL. It becomes a lot harder to audible, a lot harder to change the play. That becomes problematic for Goff. And if the running game is not there, Jared Goff relies on the heaviest amount of play action, which is, for those maybe listening that aren't the biggest NFL fans, it's the fake handoff that sets up a pass downfield. When the run game's not not respected by the defense and the defense is comfortable, then you don't get guys biting on that play fake. And you have the coverage unit stay back and stay with their assignment, and it makes the play action fake uh, less effective, and then the pressure still gets to Goff. When Goff's under pressure, his numbers drop even more. So if the Saints can get pressure and slow down the run game, Goff on the road, not a winning proposition. Now, on the other side, it really becomes a question of what kind of Saints team do we see? We've seen the Saints team that blows out teams, scores very quickly at home. As we know, the opposite split supply for Drew Brees, where he's on the road, not very good when he's at home. He's at historical numbers this year. Against the Eagles, we didn't see that explosive historic offense that we're used to seeing at home. We saw this possession first run the ball, use a lot of the game clock, methodical drives. They had a 10-minute-plus drive in the third quarter against the Eagles to completely turn that game around. The Rams have very good pass rushers up front, which we did not see against the Cowboys. The Rams sold out to stop the run against Dallas, and they did a very good job, but they didn't hit Prescott once. The only sack on Prescott was by his own offensive lineman who hugged him in the third quarter to keep him from falling over. So if the Rams can't get pressure on Drew Brees, we saw what happened when the Eagles can't get pressure. Drew Brees has time in the pocket. He steps up, finds Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas went for 220 yards against the Rams in the first meeting this year. There's not a cover corner on the Rams team that can stay with Thomas. So if the Saints can sort of dictate the game here and slow down that pass rush by getting the ball out quickly, they're going to have success. The Rams defense, uh, one of the worst run-stopping defenses in the league, unless they sell out for it like we saw last week. So McVay has another decision to make where does he keep his guys back in coverage or does he load the line of scrimmage and get very aggressive at stopping the run? But then you leave Breeze and Thomas and now Ted Ginn, who emerged as a receiver after a long injury. He came out last week, almost had a very big play to start the game. You get that dynamic working. I see a lot more decisions for the Rams to make in this game than I do for the Saints. I think the Saints can play off of what the Rams do and let that dictate what they're going to be because the Saints just have many more options on what they can be. Uh, the Rams put forth an all-time effort last week against the Cowboys. Uh, it's very difficult, especially now that you're traveling across the country, you're playing in this type of environment, to come up with a second week in a row a fantastic game plan to beat a significant step up in competition. If there's a coach that can do it, it's certainly Sean McVay, but the saints will look very comfortable against the Rams in that game earlier in the season. And while I'm trying not to take a lot from it, just given the circumstances where these two teams are, uh, I'm not sure that it's going to be as easy for the Rams as the market's making it look, especially on the money line where there's a ton of lump for LA uh, plus the money. So, I, I don't really have a lean one way or the other in this game, but I think it sets up better for the Saints. I'm certainly not going to lay three and a half with New Orleans in this one. Uh, but if this market does come down, I think there's certainly value in the Rams at plus three and a half in terms of setting something up later in the week. 
and Pinnacle Sports podcast here. You guys love accepting winners. You like people to take advantage of the market. That's what it's there for. If you can get the Rams at three and a half, let the market overwhelm the number, drive it down. You're going to set yourself up for a nice position later in the week, buying something back. Uh, giving yourself options and building equity in that wager. But in terms of picking something straight up, uh, I'm not sure I have anything here for the listeners, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like a very complex matchup. And I think the the two things that really jump out there, you talked about like the home and away splits for golf, and also that this is kind of like a real big step up for the Rams. Is that, I mean, if we're... I guess paying attention to, to the money line and the Rams' chances of actually making the Super Bowl, is there a concern that their their three regular season losses came against teams that all made the postseason? Is there a struggle there with stepping up in class, or is that you shouldn't read too much into that? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure how much gets read into it exactly because of that, but it's certainly telling. Um, but, I mean, the numbers don't lie for these home road splits, and the Rams aren't going to be at home for the rest of the season. If they make it to the Super Bowl, they get a neutral field. Uh, but again, it goes from playing outside on that grass surface in L.A. to playing on a dome in turf where the game is sped up. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily affect uh, the receivers and golf so much, but it certainly affects um, the offensive line and the pass rushers who just come at him that much quicker when the game speeds up. Uh, he's certainly a much worse quarterback than he is when everything's going under control. Another thing to point out here uh, Cooper Cup was one of his big receivers he was active in that game against the Saints earlier in the year he was around for the first uh, eight or nine games of the season before he went down with injuries another very telling split Goff went from 9.7 yards per attempt and 330 yards a game with him in the lineup without Cup the last eight games that 9.7 yards drops to 7.1 yards and the 330 yards per game drops to 249 so not only is he dealing with the home road splits, but he's also dealing with trying to come up with an identity without his number one receiver. And usually teams can adjust for that over the course of the season. But I, I think the absence of Cup and how Goff's numbers have just fell off a cliff uh, is pretty telling about what kind of talent we have a quarterback. So when you get him stepping up against competition like these playoff teams that are remaining, you're getting the top four teams left in the NFL. He's going to face arguably the number one team in the NFL this week and then either number two or number three next week. It becomes awfully difficult because if there's one quarterback that doesn't stand out between Mahomes, Brady, and Breeze, it's certainly Jared Goff, who just doesn't belong. And if it was a, a year prior, I don't think that would even be something people had to think about in terms of making an argument or it being a debate. It would just be widely accepted. But because of this season and how it's gone for the Rams, uh, people have really sort of disregarded all of their concerns with Jared Goff. And I just don't see it being priced into the market. And so I think we're certainly going to see it this week and next week come through and be very true uh, with this step up in competition. Over in the AFC for the conference championship there, it's the, the Chiefs are hosting the Patriots. The Chiefs are a three-point favourite, and again, it's a big total at 54.5. As you kind of touched on there, is this one really a tale of two quarterbacks with Mahomes at the, the start of his career and Brady potentially towards the end of his? So I think before we get into the quarterbacks, it's important to tie in the whole narrative talk we had at the start of the podcast into this game. And this is the all-time groaner of a narrative. Um, I don't know what it's like over in the UK, but growing up in Canada, when it was an extremely cold day, we would go outside and say, oh my God, it's cold. Or the weather report would say, yeah, it's going to be cold today. 
all of a sudden now that there's a temperature drop in Kansas City, there's a there's a cold front moving in. So it's going to be below, like it's, it's going to be cold in Kansas City. There's no way to doubt that. But it's been dubbed the Arctic Chill. And all of the news outlets and the sports channels and all of the radio shows over here in Canada and the United States are talking about this Arctic chill blizzard that's blowing into Kansas City and how it's going to be minus 10 degrees Celsius and it's going to be deathly cold. And there's all of people love this in terms of betters within the market. They love to attach themselves to these cold weather narratives when it comes to the pregame show. All the sideline reporters are standing there with a the microphone and these giant jackets and toques, and they just go crazy for this narrative. And we're seeing it in the market. This total opened 57. It's now down to 54 because people are betting on a forecast 96 hours away from the actual kickoff of the game. We saw last week two very powerful weather narratives, one in Kansas City again and one in L.A., the big thing about Kansas City was how there's all this snow and nobody's going to be able to run the run on the field and everyone's going to be slipping. By the time the second quarter started, all you saw was green grass on the TV because the snow stopped. So in, in terms of the L.A. game, it was, again, the reporters and all the TV networks who were going crazy. There were videos being posted at 9 in the morning of these NFL reporters sitting on the sidelines with their feet covered in water because there was so much rain and nobody can have grass that grows at any consistency in the whole state of California, let alone a stadium that has all this money behind it to make sure the field's in good condition. And then like two hours later, the halftime performer recorded a video of him in the middle of the field wearing shorts and a T-shirt and it was sunny. So these weather narratives get blown so far out of proportion when historically the only weather element that's proven to affect betting totals and the results of NFL games is wind. And there's a brilliant article on Pinnacle uh, in the article section about how wind affects totals. And unless it gets to 20 miles per hour, we don't see a significant drop off in terms of scoring in NFL games. And if there's two teams that know how to play and have success offensively, uh, in cold weather, it's New England and Kansas City who deal with it every single year. So I don't know why this weather narrative is a, is a surprise, and I don't know why we've seen a three-point move and potentially are going to see more movement in this total coming down. So to me, that's the one overpowering narrative that's just absolutely absurd when it applies to this game. Getting to the quarterbacks. So there's a couple dynamics going on here. In the first game... 83 points these teams put up. It was an offensive uh, offensive explosion. But what you have to look at is how the teams were able to have success. So the Patriots in that game, they match up very well. And, and we'll sort of take a step back here. So against the Chargers, the reason that they had so much success was because the Chargers sat in a zone defense. And when you sit in a zone defense, you can see the passes that are short underneath, which is why James White, the running back, who's a very good receiving running back, had 15 catches in that game, which is like extremely high for a running back in a single game. You only see it two or three other times this entire season. So the Chargers refused to adjust. They sat in his own defense. Kansas City 
plays a very heavy man coverage scheme. That's their preferred way to defend opponents. And when you play a man coverage scheme, you're able to put someone to cover the running backs and run with them and defend that running back pass, which is the most comfortable way New England likes to play on offense. The problem with Kansas City matching up against New England from a defense versus offensive perspective is New England can put multiple running backs in the backfield. And when it comes to two running back sets, the Kansas City Chiefs are the worst defense in the NFL. When it's just a single running back set, they're average. But when you add the extra guy and you force the Kansas City defense to come up with someone else to cover that second running back or that second sort of exotic uh, pass catching option, they really struggle and they drop to worst in the NFL. The Patriots, they can go three running backs deep. They've got three guys who can catch balls out of the backfield. They can use that to their advantage in this game. So if Kansas City is going to sell out in man defense, that's going to open up guys like Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman downfield. So this Patriots offense will go from this sort of methodical four or five yards at a time to this four yards, five yards, 15 yards type of offense, which is when they're extremely dangerous. And what they did to Kansas City early in the season in the first matchup was Gronkowski went off. And going into this game, the narrative goes against that. Everybody's down on Rob Gronkowski. He's old. He's injured. He's not the same player. He's going to retire. Is this his last game? And the same thing applies for Tom Brady. Everyone's expecting him, if he loses, to go out and retire. That was a serious question posed on the TV coverage of the games last week. It's been talked about throughout the radio. So everyone's expecting these two guys to retire when really they're going into a game right now that matches up extremely well for this offense. So I think the Patriots, behind their offensive line, which is third in the NFL, was very good against the Chargers, who have some great pass rushing options despite the Chargers' game plan being extremely poor. The Patriots have a ton of options to move the football, and I think we're going to see a lot of success with them moving it on the ground, but then also getting it out really quick to their guys running slants, Edelman, Gronkowski in the seam, or running backs out of the back field when Kansas City doesn't overcommit they're just going to take what they get and my big thing that I pushed since that game earlier in the season was New England was down uh it was tied 40 to 40 late in that game it was like two and a half minutes left maybe even less New England went on the field against Kansas City knowing that they had to drive down the field and score they had zero urgency because they knew they could get whatever they wanted on offense because the Kansas City defense just matches up so poorly against them. If we flip the script, uh, I'm not sure this game, it's going to have to be about Mahomes, but it's not the best way for Kansas City to approach this. So the big thing that stood out in the box score in the first game was Tyreek Hill. He had two really big catches and the kick return. The two really big catches came against complete blown assignments of the L.A. Chargers cover corners. And that's very rare for them to do because they finished the season as one of the best cover units in the NFL. And I don't think that gets enough respect in the betting markets. So I'm not sure Tyreek Hill is going to have nearly that success. And if we're talking about this cold weather, the old Arctic chill, that probably suggests the game is going to slow down just a little bit. Now, I think a lot of people are sort of keying in and saying that it's going to completely negate any of the speed, but it's not like it's only going to affect one player and not the rest of the players on the field. So if, if one player is slowing down, that's because the entire game is slowing down. So Tyreek Hill 
in ideal conditions, did not have much success against his Patriots defense, except for the times where there was a complete blown assignment and a total gaffe by the defense. So I'm not sure he's going to have nearly as big of a game or an impact as he did in the first game. The player that had a big impact and where you can attack this New England defense uh, is at the running back position, Kareem Hunt was in the backfield for the Kansas City Chiefs. He had the whole domestic assault thing. He's out of the league. Uh, in steps Damian Williams. Williams had a career day uh, against the Colts. He looked very good. But if there's one thing the Patriots do, it's eliminate that one weapon. And Williams, without uh, really the experience prior, rather not the experience, but without that sort of big step-up game prior to the Colts game, it's very hard to sort of suspect someone like that to repeat a performance like that in a game where he's going to have to be a very vital two-way threat. Uh, my question about this is, does the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line hold up? How much motion are they going to have to use to keep the New England Patriots cover defense uh, off balance? They have the worst remaining offensive line of any team left in the playoffs. They're 16th. Uh, so that certainly factors in quite a bit. If they can stop sort of the rush of New England, which is somewhat non-existent, but if they can completely eliminate that, then there's definitely going to be comfort to make plays. New England defends tight ends very well, so it makes you wonder how valuable Travis Kelsey is going to be to this game. The, the Chiefs are going to have to come up with offense in a different way, and if there's a coach that can do it, it's certainly Andy Reid. Uh, he's very good at coming up with creative offensive game plans that do just enough to make sure that the Chiefs uh, – get out in front. And that's been a big thing for Kansas City. We look at New England during the regular season as this great first quarter team, and they are. They score almost 6.5 points per game in the first quarter. Kansas City takes that to a new level, despite New England being third with almost a touchdown a game in the first quarter, which is extremely high. Kansas City, 9.5 points. They're almost a full field goal better in the first quarter. So game state of this particular game is going to be absolutely huge if kansas city can get out to one of their early starts we saw it against the colts last week there was emphasis getting that lead forcing andrew luck to pass and relying on the kansas city pass rushers if the chiefs can get out and score early that benefits them in a huge way because then their offense can stay balanced and they can attack this new england defense multiple different ways if New England steps up and gets the lead early, then New England relies on their strength. The pass coverage defense, Kansas City is going to have to pass. You get the game that's slightly slower because of this ridiculous weather temperature that's coming in. It's really going to come down to game state and who jumps out to that lead. If it stays competitive, I think that also bodes well for Kansas City as well. The only way that this doesn't play out well for Kansas City in terms of them having options on offense is if the Patriots get out they get the 10 point lead early and Kansas City is forced to play catch up I don't they were forced to play catch up uh, in the first game New England held the ball for 20 minutes in the first half the Chiefs were very low on possession in that uh, and their defense was left on the field but again they had those big plays that saved them and those big plays are not necessarily going to save them again this week you can't really rely on that in a game like this in a situation like this where there's emphasis to avoid that the Patriots do very well in adjusting so it, it this one all comes down to game state and whether you determine whether you or not you like the Patriots or the Chiefs what happens in the first 15 minutes of the game is very much going to dictate your handicap both on the side and on the total 
Yeah, I mean, certainly a, another really intriguing matchup, and I guess that's kind of the the beauty of this point of the season is that they're the games are potentially difficult to analyse, but there there could be potential value in there. Um, and I guess it's kind of safe to say that we're not we won't be expecting a an article on the the Arctic Blast from you anytime soon. Uh, there was a, a big talking head, we'll call him, in the betting industry in North America, and he came out to talk about this because it was something that everyone wanted to jump on and talk about because it's getting all these clicks and these views. And he came out and posted something on Twitter. And he said, historically, there's no evidence that suggests that cold weather affects NFL games. But I've dug through this nine-game sample size over the last 40 years and determined that maybe it does. And he came up with like a four-and-seven trend just to pile on this. And then there were like a thousand responses to, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Look at it going to apply to this game. Like, it's just it it's mind-numbing pardon the pun, uh, to think that people just still fall in love with this and they can't take the next step in sort of gambling intelligence to realize that it really doesn't affect what happens on the field and time is much better better spent just handicapping the teams and taking something away from the game. Yeah, and I mean, as you rightly said, if anyone is kind of listening to this and they, they feel they may fall foul to that kind of narrative or um, punditry and stuff like that, it's the suggestion is just go to go to Pinnacle's betting resources, click on the football section or the betting strategy section, just spend some time reading through those because that's when we're getting into real proper data, sample sizes, and actual looking at legitimate factors that do influence the outcome of a game. So if we kind of now, I mean, thanks for that that analysis of those two games. If we move towards the outright markets. Um, I'm just kind of interested to know if anything's changed from from last week's games or or anything else you kind of thought about over since we since we recorded last week's episode. If if anything's changed with your view of the outright markets and who you think is actually going to win the Super Bowl. My biggest problem with, and I I never like to not be right because when you're right you earn money. But the biggest problem with being right across the board is things when you pull up the page Monday morning after the games, they're exactly like you expected it to be. And when they're exactly like you expected them to be, it's very hard to sort of find uh, a value that's lingering behind when there's sort of a surprise team or, or there's someone who's greatly overperforming. That's very much overpriced. It's easy to sort of build your numbers off of that and price a market to where you can find value either at the top or at the bottom. In this case, we get the top four teams to start the postseason in terms of outright positioning within the market. Uh, they were taking up a significant part of the margin at the top of it, and now everyone else is gone. So we have the four teams that are supposed to be here. We have two games that are priced correctly. And in my opinion, we have the outright market where the teams are priced correctly, uh, but then you get the little bit of margin installed. If you're playing at Pinnacle, you're dealing with less margin than anywhere else in the world. Uh, so if you're going to look for value, it's certainly going to be at Pinnacle. Uh, but in terms of did anything change, I, I don't think so because everything played out as I expected it to in, in the divisional round. I still think the Saints are the best team left in the NFL. 
They get the big home field advantage this week. They also get somewhat of an advantage going to Atlanta for the Super Bowl in a stadium where they play once every season. So there's familiarity there. Uh, they get the fast surface this week. They would get the fast surface again next week. So in terms of being comfortable within your playing style, it certainly works out the best for New Orleans. I think the Rams have a lot more decisions to make and have to put forth a better game plan to win than the Saints do. In terms of who's coming from the other side, my prediction was whoever wins the Chargers-Patriots game goes through. I think the game certainly sets up uh, better for New England, uh, but I'm not sure that I love the price that they're getting both in the outright markets and this week. Not quite good enough for me. Uh, there's still the chance that Kansas City gets out to that early lead and it becomes very tough. Uh, but either of those two teams going on the uh, well, on the road for everyone, but going to Atlanta to play the Saints, uh, that's going to be a very tough matchup for both. So I, I think the market's priced correctly, and I have no change, and I don't really have any desire to back anyone in the outright markets uh, any more than they have. Yeah, as Adam said, the Pinnacle's industry low margins do obviously mean you get the best value on the the outright markets than anywhere else, and they're, they're all listed as yes-no markets. Um, the Saints are at 279 the Chiefs are at 3.45, the Patriots 4.39, and the Rams, the biggest outsiders, are at 4.779. Um, I think that probably just about wraps it up for today, Adam. So I just want to say thanks again for joining us, and hopefully this weekend is as successful as your last. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Uh, a lot of fun to do these, and look forward to the games this weekend. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with a special episode ahead of the Super Bowl. So best of luck with your bets this weekend, and bye for now.